Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indy. What's up, everybody? My name's Indy, and that gentleman way over there on the other side, that's Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting, and we got Justin Barenbaum in the middle, Hello. and welcome to Indie Game Business. Welcome, everybody. So, yeah, this is, um, you know, just to give you another little peek behind the curtain of our, our highly professional and, and well-oiled machine that we run here at IGB, the <laughs> guest for today had to cancel and move out a couple of weeks. And so yesterday afternoon, I'm literally sending any messages going, uh, we can do it just the two of us like we did on Wednesday, or we can punt it, or we can find somebody. And he's like, ah, it doesn't matter, we'll just do whatever. And then Justin and I get into a discussion about an article on GamerBiz, GameIndustry.biz last night. And I was like, hey, look, you wanna come on the show? And he's like, yeah. And so like, it was like, you know, yeah, and I, I apologize. Hour, and we have a whole new guest. So, <laughs> hey, you know, we 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 quickly learned that uh, a, a proactive discussion on Twitter isn't really a, a good idea. So, <laughs> I suck at Twitter. It's like I don't know how to make a thread, and so I have to keep replying to my own message. Just, yeah, I'm not. I'm not adept at uh, at Twitter at all, but Justin, so welcome to the show, and we're going to start where we always start. Tell us how you got into the industry, and then walk us through your career. Oh God, that's yeah. uh, uh, everybody better have their coffee and, and a pillow. <laughs> um, you know, the funniest thing is I actually started my career in the industry completely by accident. <clears throat> I answered an ad in the newspaper back when people actually read classified ads in the newspaper for jobs. Uh, for a retail store manager for G&G Software. And G&G Software was actually a division of Capcom. Now, I'll let you, everybody know, this was way back in the Stone Ages. This was 1993. Um, so I answered the ad. Uh, I had a college degree in business economics, uh, a minor in broadcast journalism, and uh, you know I needed a job. There was we were still coming out of a bit of a recession, and there wasn't a lot of jobs. And so I'm like, okay, well here's a retail store manager. It's two miles from my apartment. Uh, went in and interviewed at the Capcom corporate office, and the CFO who interviewed me said, okay, we'll offer you one of two choices. You can take the store manager job, or I'm going to offer you a job in corporate. Uh, we're starting this thing called mail order and we need somebody to run it because I've been running it and I don't have time. Um, the retail store job would have been much easier and obviously two miles from my house. Instead, I chose to drive 25 miles south in the Bay Area and some of the worst traffic to work at Capcom headquarters. Um, did that for a year and a half. Sounds like the logical Capcom. choice, though, you know. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> Um, but I, I, you know, I think that may have been the smartest career move I ever made was actually being able to be in the corporate office, learn from the corporate folks, uh, you know, learn the business from inside corporations instead of just taking, you know, retail store orders and, 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 and slogging that way. So built up the mail order division. When I started, it was, you know, just a few hundred bucks a month. Uh, when I left to join Capcom proper, it was the top, uh, top 
grossing in terms of profit and number seven in terms of revenue and all the company stores changed, which was about 70. Um, they then sold that off. So that's when I transferred over to Capcom proper. Uh, I took a lateral pay move, but actually took a demotion to a customer service rep um, and did that for about six months, got promoted to the head of customer service, spent another couple of years at Capcom, moved around to a company called uh, BFD Productions. Uh, you guys probably remember BFD. They did all the 900 hit lines when that was a thing. Uh, they did the 900 hit line for uh, Nintendo, Sony, everybody. Um, so worked over there as a product manager. Uh, wasn't so sexy, wasn't so fun working for a telecommunications company. Left, went to Earthlink. Uh, Slowly made my way into Activision, spent a seven and a half years there, uh, then consulted for four or five years doing something a little similar to what you guys were doing, I think, and then uh, joined 505 for five years, consulted for Team 17, and then about two and a half years ago, uh, I kind of began by accident, ended up at Exola. Um, I'd uh, wrote kind of a scathing email to my friend about an announcement they'd made. Uh, and he's like, I need you to come in and talk to talk to our team about it. Talk to them, kind of lit everybody up. And uh, next thing I know, they're like, hey, we want you to come work for us. So it was. <laughs> that, I was just here to rant. I wasn't here to get a job. Yeah, that's the best <laughs> way to get a job, though. It was like uh, write an email saying, you guys suck at this stuff. And then yeah, like, well, luckily I did it very it. professionally. I actually think it's one of the only times I actually wrote the F word in an email to somebody. Um, you know, I actually work again. I worked for Capcom and Activision. And Activision, there was a lawyer you guys probably know named George Rose, who was a general counsel, who would always give me a piece of advice never put in anything in writing that you don't want your worst enemy to use against you in court. Um, so I generally try, try not to swear too much in writing, um, but I had a few, you know, F bombs in this email and uh, generally not the way I advised trying to go about getting a job, but it worked out for me. <laughs> But it works. So there was somebody just the other day in our Discord that was talking about this trend of people emailing you and basically telling you how shitty your product was as a means of sales pitching. And I was like, it actually is a valid strategy but you can work right but like, but you can't just light people up you actually yeah. have to have some real points uh and you can't just be uh it, it, there's a fine line between between being a troll and actually providing constructive negative feedback right yeah, exactly <laughs> you know and so that's what i was like look you, you can, don't take it personally it is a sales technique but it's one that you can't just like fire off you actually have to put some thought into it and i think whoever had sent it to them had basically done it as a form email and i'm like that's not how you do it yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> no that's not gonna work i mean how many form emails do you guys get you just i'll actually respond to some of them with just kind of like uh don't call me i'll call you <laughs> i had one this morning somebody's like pitching me something to help us show our games and i'm like we don't make games <laughs> I, I get those all the time. I get the, hey, we want to do your art for your games, or we yeah. want to provide this. And and the worst is one say somebody said, oh, I was looking at your profile on LinkedIn, and I really think I can help you. And then they say that. And I'm like, so you obviously didn't look at all. <laughs> I don't know. In the last, like, year, I have about, I get about two to three LinkedIn requests a week for CEO coaches that are going to, and I'm like, I needed a CEO coach like 10 years ago. This, <laughs> I know how to screw this job up now. I mean, this is, I don't need help on it at this point. Um, but I mean, it, it goes to the point of 
you can use form emails, but you can't just like spam them out. You have to have <laughs> sections in there that are, you know, specifically targeted at who you're targeting. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to put, uh, it's just, I mean, honestly, it's like what I tell developers who are trying to get better at pitching, right? Like, you've got to actually spend. I don't treat it like you're doing a job interview. Spend a little bit of time figuring out who you're pitching to, what they're signing. Uh, you know, try to figure out as much as you can what kind of games the company's publishing uh, or investing in. Spend, you know, spend a little bit of time on the front end because it nets you such great rewards. But you know, I get these pitches sometimes. You know, that are so far outside of what we're doing or what we're trying to help with, and it's just like. It, 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 you know, you lose credibility. The next time I see these people, I'm just not going to take them as seriously. Um, and I know that it's not sexy. I know most developers want to make games, and that's great. But your first impression to most investors and publishers is your pitch. It's your deck. It's how you reach out to them. And, and just like a job interview, if you just send me a form email with a, a form resume, and there's nothing in there that's going to get my attention or has anything remotely to do with what I'm interested in, you're going to get a rejection. So how do you feel about cover letters on resumes? You know, I'm I'm lazy now. The only reason uh, I want a cover letter if their resume doesn't quite match the job and they can quickly and succinctly explain why they still think they're a good fit. Um, uh, you know, again, this goes to I don't want a generic cover letter either. Um, <laughs> and that's you know, what you're getting so much. Yeah, I think if you if you really want a job, and and especially if it's a switch in careers or it's a different industry, I do think a short cover letter, maybe explaining why you'd be a great fit and why you're jumping industries, is not a bad thing. Because if I get a resume for a product manager position and somebody was, you know, customer service, there's a stretch there. But if they can explain why and maybe what they were doing in customer service is relevant, then I'm going to probably take the resume more seriously. But when you put out a job and you get 150 resumes in, in two weeks, you know, and, and then all of them have generic cover letters, you're gonna th you're just gonna put most in a, a no thanks pile. So I, I think it's like anything. It's just like sending a pitch to somebody. You can just send the pitch, which is fine. But if you send a really short, you know, intro email to the pitch that sets it up, that's great. Uh, so I again. Uh, I just don't be lazy. It goes. I think it goes to a lot of things. Uh, like I say, with pitching, you know, reaching out. You know, a lot of developers is not their strong suit, right? You know, they're introverts, they're programmers, they're artists. Um, so their strong suit isn't necessarily um, social skills, especially with people they don't know. But you got to put a little bit of effort in. Okay. <laughs> <You> just, <laughs> that's it. You, you don't need to go through and do you know, an absolute custom email for everybody you're sending it to. But you, yeah, I mean, you have to have a little bit of variation in there to make it look like you at least somewhat know what you're talking about here. Well, well we we're talking about the LinkedIn request, right? Like if you, if you just think about it, if you're on the other end, you're the developer, you're getting these, you know, I don't know, uh, outsource artists reaching out to you and you're getting these generic emails, you're probably not going to pay attention. But if somebody actually takes the time to say, hey, I've been following your development and your Discord channel, whatever, I love what you're working on. And then they send you, you're much more likely to at least open it and pay attention. You know, that's not a lot of effort, but a teeny bit of effort goes a long way. We just got like one of the most original questions in the chat I've ever seen. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. It's from Plant Lamp, so of course it's super original. <laughs> All right, so, so the wow. question is from Mr. Plant Lamp. He is actually um, one of the guitarists for Def Leppard. Um, what oh, roles nice. in the industry would be good for someone currently from law enforcement who also has a background in professional sports? 
Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I, I the guess, guitarist for know, Def Leppard. That's <laughs> God, that's a good one. Um, you know, again, I got my career right doing mail order, and then I went into customer service, and, and I did QA. Um, I... I, I think you've got to try to reach out to no matter what you're doing, find a developer, find something that you're passionate about that you've got some demonstrable skills in. Um, you're a publisher. I mean, a producer. That's it. That's, you're, you're automatically a producer. That's it. <laughs> oh, God. Let's not, let's not go down the producer path. I don't think I don't, I, I'm going to need whiskey in my coffee if we do that. <laughs> <clears throat> well, no, actually, I, I would say you should qualify to be a, a be a game designer because isn't everybody a game designer? Uh, well, see, that's what we used to absolutely hire people straight out of uh, GameStop, and they would be a tester for us for you know, sometimes like three weeks, and then we have a project come in that needed oversight, and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, now you're a producer. Congratulations. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> you know, look, I brought a bunch. So when I was at Activision, we brought in most of so we ended up having producers just for our biz dev group because there was a lot of external licensing and we had to manage projects. Most of the producers that I brought into our team were actually straight out of QA. Um, they yeah. were the scene, they were, you know, they were QA guys that demonstrated some, you know, some savvy. They, the ones that worked on our projects that actually had some skills and some management and could actually talk to partners, people that, you know, because I, I didn't trust a lot of, a lot of people to go out and reach out to partners. I used to, and then I find so many of them screwing it up and not understanding how to, you know, how differently an email to an external partner that's paying you a lot of money needs to be than to somebody internal. Um, so I would take those people that actually had those skills and that savvy, and I'd bring them into production positions inside of the biz dev team. And very often they would then get hired by our teams inside that they went to Treyarch, they went to Infinity Ward as full producers because they demonstrated their chops. Um, you know, I think a lot of times if you're switching careers, you got to just find maybe developers in your area and just volunteer to help on projects, whatever that is. Um, get some experience, you know, get some, you know, understand what game development's like. And then a lot of it's really what do you want to do? Um, when you're switching careers, what is it that excites you about the game industry um, besides just playing games? Because we all know that's not really what goes on most of the time in most of these companies. <laughs> um, that's what we all do. Uh, you know, and I think as we know, the old, the longer we've been in this industry, the less chance we actually get to play games at work. Um, so <laughs> it's... Uh, I, you know, that's a great question, and I'm happy to follow up offline, too, so we can spend more time on it. I, I just think it's really about finding something you're passionate about, um, studying up on it, learning, uh, and reaching out to local dev groups, see if there's uh, an IGA chapter in your area, see if there's, you know, a game dev meetup, a drink up, and just start connecting with the community. Uh, I find that for people that are switching careers or paths, the best way to figure out if one of this is for you and two, to, to make connections and build relationships. And obviously there's no in-person game dev meetups or drink ups right now, but there's a lot of people moving that stuff online into social um, and, and you can join there and just start connecting. It's, uh, you know, I, if anybody asks me kind of what my superpower really is and my success is, you know, as small as it's been, it's kind of my relationship skills and, and truly valuing every relationship that I made in my career and trying to spend a lot of time maintaining those relationships is what's paid off. Like I said, I mean, come on, I, I put F-bombs in an email and ended up with a job, right? So... <laughs> Nobody, nobody appreciates when I put F-bombs in emails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
But it's I mean, all con. It's all context, right? If you say yeah, it with exactly. a smile, it's taken back. That, that's exactly <laughs> it, though. I mean, and, and that's the reason we hired people out of GameStop. You know, back in the day when we were doing publishing. To, to come in and do, and do testing and then that's part of the reason they got bumped up to producer so quick i mean aside from the fact that we were typically running by the seat of our pants and we didn't have an actual you know hiring system the but they knew games and and that's what you you have to have and, and to this day it's why i have such a love-hate relationship with gamestop it's like yeah. our, the people that work in our local gamestop are awesome they absolutely are passionate about it. They will sit down. I had one of them dig through three shelves of Funko Pops, not because I asked him, but because my son was with me and he said he was looking for a specific one. And the guy's like, hold on, I think we have it. And he spent five, 10 minutes digging through all of these things to find the one that my son wanted. No, always. I completely agree. And, that, and so I, I love the employees for the most part. I just, I, you know, and we won't get into that in the management, but uh, you know, again, I, and that's, I think that something is lost. I mean, I used to send people to the stores to when they couldn't figure out what they wanted to go talk to those folks and just get an idea. Um, they're passionate, they're knowledgeable. You know, if you can put aside the politics and the management directives, the people in the stores were great. Exactly. It's, it's you know, if, if the people in the corporate office would sit down, it's probably too late at this point, but if five, <laughs> five, 10 years ago, if they had sat down and empowered the people in their store instead of ranting at them for not getting six people to sign up for the magazine in a day, that entire company would be completely different. But anyway, that we can maybe discuss in an evening talk and we can all be drinking during it because I think that, oh, that would be much more appropriate. <laughs> before with, you know, we had Thomas Goglia and then a bunch of folks on here and we just basically went on a rant one time. Um, <laughs> yeah, Tom, Tom's a blast to go on rants with. I yes, was on the, I was on the uh, IGDA board of directors with him and we, uh, we used to have quite a few rants. So <laughs> uh, speaking of which, you know, in, in the, Error of no formal meetups and, and coronavirus. Uh, I am a new chapter head. I am the chapter head of a new IGDA. Yay! Congrats! Yay! Yay. He, he he wrote a scathing email with a couple of f words. Yeah. I, did. <laughs> I was just talking to Renee the other day. I'm sure that went over well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. So the, the actual reason that we're here. So. I, GameIndustry.biz put out an article, was it yesterday or, or yeah, it was yesterday. On yeah, yesterday. Does a year without events mean for indies? And, you know, you said right before we got started, a lot of it is sensationalized, but it's one of those that just got me Oh, pissed off is the right word. <laughs> I, I noticed just a little bit. <laughs> absolutely drives me apeshit. And so the... First thing I want to make clear, and this is not, we know that there were a lot of teams, large and small, who lost a shitload of money and got really hurt by the fact that GDC didn't happen when it was supposed to happen after they had already bought tickets and hotels and flights. We realize that. We are not, you know, ranting on those folks at all. It is this perception that without an in-person event, indie developers are stranded and and they're screwed. And yeah. <laughs> they're not. 
you know, no, 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 <laughs> not, <this>? not. <laughs> is it, was it? Were we talking about it Wednesday, Andy? When I said, yeah, because Satoshi was was um, yeah, chatting with us, and I said, this is actually a wonderful opportunity for indie devs if you do it correctly. Correct. And so, Justin, are, everybody knows we've been running digital events for over a year now. And yeah, no, I, I've been following, and I've uh, I've hopped on a couple last minute, um, and I've tried trying to do more of that when when my role lets me, and I'm not putting out fires. <laughs> but, but now, I mean, Exol is doing one that we're participating in as well. There, yeah, I'm actually excited about that. <laughs> over twenty of these things. That and I added one last night to the list. We've got a list. If you go to, here's the thing about yeah. No, by the way, we shared that list internally, and I've shared that externally. I love when you 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 and your team do stuff like this. Um, you know, and just like the publisher list and developer list you guys have put together. Um, I'm not trying to fanboy here, obviously, but uh, I, I just think Justin, we know each other too well. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> but uh, you know, I just I think that those kind of resources. Um, but again, somebody's just putting in the effort. Uh, I think a lot of people want to whine and complain and and not spend five seconds just putting in a little effort there's so much stuff you guys put out a lot of stuff the iga is doing a lot of there's just so many places for people to go to find resources to help them kind of retool and adjust yeah it is and so i'll share if, if you don't have that link i'll share it uh, in in chat here in a minute but so what are, so this is the fir the first point that they, they bring up in the article, and I'm in the midst of writing like a counter article as well. But you know, I can't I can't wait. And, the, and you yeah. know, of course, when I posted it on Twitter, it was it wasn't a I'm in favor of this article, right? Oh uh, no, no 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 no! But you know, <laughs> you caught me you know in the evening when I saw it, and I had already been fuming over this article for like two hours, and I was just like, somebody opened the door. I'm going. Oh uh, no! I, I I love pulling the pin. I love pulling the pin on grenades. I'm really good at that. <laughs> So the one of the developers, and I'm not going to call out anybody because I'm not criticizing any of these developers. You know, one of the developers has got a title coming out this year, and they were planning to attend nine conferences in one yeah. year. All right, that is a shitload of conferences. The year it that is. I had to go to six is the year before I said, I'm not traveling at all anymore. And we started this event. And you know, we it costs this. at least like two, three, four, 5,000 per conference. I mean, depending yeah, on how many amount. people's Especially going and where exhibiting. it is. Yeah. You know? If you're exhibiting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, assuming just attending just travel more than I do. So you probably got a better idea of, of how much this costs, but you know, well, I'm, I'm old saying, and I travel a little differently, but <laughs> well, I know, but you, you, you see this stuff. I mean, they had let's see, five transatlantic flights, one flight to Japan, two continental events, and one bounce over to the UK. And so, well, you know, even at, let's just let's just assume you know economy coach. Each transatlantic flight is at least a grand, right? The minimum. Per person, um, and then depending on the city you're in, if you're in the U.S., most places the hotels are going to be a minimum of 150 to 200 a night, unless you're in San Francisco or somewhere else. Then it's you know four or five hundred a night. Um, you Most know, so it, you want to stay in the Tenderloin. Yeah, I was going to say that's a tent. Um, <laughs> so you know, uh, you know, on best guess per person, you know, okay, so let's say you're let's say you send two people and you're sharing a room. So at a minimum, you're probably looking, if you're coming to GDC, just in travel costs, you're probably spending five grand for two people. Yeah. 
<clears throat> right? That's it. That's it. That's what I said. That was my guess too. Um, and then I so I took that and I said, you know, GDC alone is going to cost you five ten grand. Yeah, yeah, obviously that's going to be probably one of the most expensive shows. Let's be yeah, clear, that's, that's one of the most expensive shows of all of them attend. You can get away packs like if it's a pack south or a pack east. You know, you're probably if you're you know, if you're flying, let's just say you're flying from Europe somewhere, a thousand to get to maybe a little less to get to Boston. You can probably find hotels, you know, that are, are cheaper places if you're sharing a room, two hundred bucks a night for two people. So you're probably looking at, uh, I don't know, maybe two thousand for flights total. And again, I'm kind of rounding up here, and maybe another thousand for room. So you're still looking at twenty five hundred to three grand just to be there for two people. So it's ha at least half of what it is to go to San Francisco, but it's not trivial. So I pulled, I just highlighted the next 20 digital events that are going on that we know of anyway. And you could attend every single one of them for five grand. Yep. I mean, total, you could go to every single one of them. And so that's one of the big things. So one, you know, going on the assumption that you're only taking one or two people, I think even that's aggressive. If you're, if you're going to a PAX, or somewhere you're demoing the show, you you need three people at least. Yeah, it was two to four. Yeah, two to four. I've seen a lot of indie teams do it with two, but yeah, <clears throat> I agree. It ain't it ain't fun. So I've done it. I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did. I did the back in the day in 1995. I did the <clears throat> was it it was a GameStop or EB show in Nashville by myself for three days. Oh God. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I got told three days before the show, the guy that was supposed to do it got super sick and there was nobody else in the company to go. So I, I went last minute, uh, you know, and I had to demo our games to all the, all the managers for, for three days by myself. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, you obviously don't want to be doing, doing that. But oh, and, and the greatest thing, it was actually on my birth. The first day was on my birthday. So I was in a city where I knew nobody. Uh, for my birthday, working 18 hours a day. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, hey. Yeah, you got so, no time to, like, walk away from the booth or anything. That has got yeah, to uh, bite. It was, it, was, it was interesting. I did make a, a couple of, I think, a couple of my best friends, a guy named Ali Husseini, who at the time worked for Mad Cats. He and I at that, you know, talk about uh, bonds formed and forms in, in the foxhole. Uh, he and I, you know, 20 seven years later are still great friends or 26 years later um, because of that. And we ended up going out really late one night on my birthday, just because I absolutely needed to um, probably was not the smartest thing, but it was okay. I was young. <laughs> Wait, look, back in the day, we would have two breakfast meetings, a full day of half hour meetings at a conference, two meetings for drinks, a meeting for dinner, and then two parties in the evening. And that was normal. You know, yeah, <laughs> no, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> Hell no. I get people calling me at like nine o'clock at a show. It's like, hey man, you go to this party? I'm like, dude, I'm already in bed. <laughs> yeah, no, nine o'clock's my bedtime. Uh, for me, it's uh, you know the way I survive. And people ask because I'm usually actually still out late at these events. Is I, um, you know, I do work pretty hard all day. You know, breakfast meetings at seven or eight. Uh, all the way through meetings till about six. I am smart and scheduled about an hour to go back to my room or do whatever. Then I usually have dinners and, and instead of going out partying generally, I'll have a dinner and you know I'm I'm sitting and I have two or three hour dinners. Um, but I, I've gotten really judicious about alcohol. I'll drink one glass of wine or one glass. You know, here's my little secret: if we get, we do go to an event or a party, even if there's free booze, I'll go up to the bar and buy one really expensive glass of whiskey for myself. 
you know, $40, $50 glass of whiskey. And that, what that makes me do is sip it all night. So I'll have one drink the entire night. And that's the only way I can survive the next day. So I'll show up the next day, run into some of my colleagues that are half my age, and they're just, you can just tell they're, they're, they're hurting, right? They're absolutely just hurting. And that's what the free cheap booze and beer will do. And I'm fine. And I get the same amount of sleep as them, but I'm fine. And they're just like, how the hell do you do it? And I, that's, that's one of the reasons I ended up with the Dark Yoda nickname inside of my office is I'm a short, old, bald, and, and wise, and a little bit mean when people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's good it's, shit. It's all good because we see somebody toting around Justin on their back through a conference, and then it's um, then it's not going to be back flipping <laughs> around be, with that the that lightsaber. Interesting. <laughs> so we had a plant lamp over here. It had another yeah. one, um, and we're kind of answering that. Is there a potential that indie devs will actually benefit from digital conferences instead of IRL events because they are easier to attend and less expensive? And the answer is yes. Yes. That's Hell what yes. About all day. Yeah, we just, Indie Game Business just had the conference. It was like, how many attendees? 900? We had over 900 sign up, but we ended up with over 1,100 meetings that happened. Oh, that's and, great. And do you know how much that cost? <laughs> Nothing. A full-blown ticket, it was $125. That's great. I mean, you know, and again, I think so. I just think it takes a change in mindset, right? And And I think that it's... A difficult transition, Let, let's be honest. I mean, you know, pitching in person is always better than pitching virtually or sending it. Um, people have to get better at it. It takes a different change. And I'm just telling devs, you got to practice it. Hop on the phone with somebody else, with a friend. Maybe pitch somebody, you know, one of your friends that doesn't know anything about the game. And, and do a call with them, do a video call with them and pitch to them. And, and it's... Pitching is freaking hard, right? I, I've, I'm guessing in my career, I've seen between 1,500 and 2,000 pitches. And I can tell you right now, that scares the death out of me if I have to go do a pitch, right? I, I, it's hard. It, it really is hard. And, and having to shift the mindset to doing it virtually is harder. But it will save you money and time in the longer. But again, it just takes some time and effort. You can't just, you know, take the deck that you had or the build that you had or the video that you had and just throw it at somebody and say, Hey, sign this game. Yeah. It's just, I, you know, again, I think we're already seeing people improve. We're seeing a lot of great organizers scramble and put, you know, I think, uh, Pocket Gamer Connects, you know, is in finishing their conference and what they managed to pull off in three weeks was pretty spectacular. Um, and thank God for, you know, Fedora and the Meet to Match team. And because they're set up to do a lot of it digitally. I mean, the uh, tools are out there. We didn't do um, Pocket Gamer. <laughs> well, I, a lot of people couldn't. The only reason I actually did is I was no, asked I mean, to that join the panel. That wasn't us and Fedora. That I know. Was, that, that was another <laughs> another group. Yeah, um, I know. But I'm just no, saying okay. there's, right. there's, there's springing, they're springing up all over the place. I think yeah, I part of it's going to be, honestly, I think there's going to be too, just like everything else, there's going to be too many, right? I think you've got to focus on the ones you can get the most bang for the buck in time because at some point you still do have to work on the game. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, and, and see, but that's a point too. I mean, even if you do a – so our event was – our events are usually two days. This last one we did for – to cover GDC was, was five days. Yeah. But in two days, we've had companies that had 21 meetings oh, yeah. and you compare that to the number of quality. And we're going to qualify this with quality meetings that you have <laughs> 
at a conference. And, and oh, don't get me started. If I put on my publisher hat and start talking quality meetings, we're all in trouble. Yeah, I know, but that, that's it. It's like you can – every company, every big company has these people that go out and try to schedule meetings for meeting six. So they can go back to whoever they report to, and they were like, I had 30 meetings. And it's like, yeah, but your meetings suck. Nothing's going to come out of them. <laughs> you can go and do these meetings at – a, a, a traditional conference where you're limited by who could actually make it there. Or you can do these things within your normal workday and you've got a much wider spectrum of people that you can go to. And that's what we've seen in our events over the last year. It's like we've had, you know, developers from Turkey talking to companies from New Zealand and nobody had to fly around the world to do it. Yep. And, and, but, you know, like you said, it, it is a a different skill set to a point you you have to be able to to pitch virtually and it's it's one of those that I, I sit here and go well it's not that hard but yeah I know it is I've just been doing it for a long time and so it, it can be but you you absolutely have a much higher probability of doing quality meetings because you can go through and here's the caveat if the meeting system is good. Yep. And GDCs is the one I constantly rant about because it's got out <laughs> horrible. It is the biggest. Oh my god! There's a few others that I'm not going to talk about, but yeah, that's that can be horrible as well. I, I know. <laughs> there are. I mean, and that's one of the things that you have to you have to factor into. Is it's like how easy is it to actually find the meetings you want to do? But then once you do them, you're saving yourself so much trouble because if you pitch your meeting, which is an art in and of itself, if you pitch your meeting to 30 companies and 10 of them tell you, no, it's not what we're looking for, you you can't get all upset about that. That's They have actually saved you trouble. So, well, so I always say a, a quick no is way better than a long maybe, uh -huh. right? Uh, and I'm actually talking about articles. I'm still trying to finish one that I started working on six months ago that's um, not really telling people how to pitch or what to pitch, but it's telling them everything that needs to be in a pitch to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that developers forget, right, when they're looking, talking to publishers, investors, anybody, and they're asking for money, is it's my belief that you can deliver but that you're also professional because this isn't a game. You have to run a business and you have to stay in business long enough to get the game out. And then you got to think about how long you have to stay in business before the game actually starts making money. And, and if I don't believe <laughs> that you can stay in business, it's awfully hard for me to want to give you money. And yep. I think, you know, sometimes you, I, I've talked to developers that have, you know, a good idea uh, and, and some stuff, but I just don't have faith that they can finish and deliver and stay in business. And, you know, having been on that side and invested for, you know, invested in games for a really long time, I know we hear a lot of complaints and I'm not going to go too far off the rails here about, you know, all oh, publisher deals screwed us. We didn't get our money, blah, 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 blah. And there's been plenty of those. Don't get me wrong. But I've been on the other side and I can't tell you how many times I've been screwed over by developers for being late, being, you know, coming back and asking for more money, basically blackmailing, well, our studio goes out of business if you don't give me more money. Uh, I've been on the receiving end of that a lot. And I think that, you know, I think as part of this is creative medium. And we also know that it's really hard to budget and schedule. But when I go to a developer and go, okay, how much money do you need and how long this is going to take? And then we give them that money and that time and they come back three or six months before launch say, well, if you don't give us X amount more, we're going to go out of business. Um, that's proof you don't know how to run a business. So that's extortion. I think. That's, uh... <laughs> 
And, and, you know, I know it's not, you know, I'm sure I'll get crucified for this, and I'm sure the you know, indie devs are like, we would never do that. That's just a publisher talking. I'm like, it's a reality. It, it's, it is a reality, and, I, and, and I'll and, vouch for you on this. So, and so yeah. I, I just, I think that, you know, I think that everybody's gotten a little more sophisticated. I actually think publishers and, and a lot of publishers, not all of them, have started cutting better and fairer deals. We've seen, you know, the epic announcement. We know about Raw Fury and Versus Evil, and there's a lot of indie-friendly publishers now. Um, but you know what? It's always going to be whoever puts in the most amount of money is going to be the one taking most of the risk, and they're going to. So you have to think accordingly, and you have to try to build your game this, at the same time as you build a business. Because I need people to stay in business, and if your pitch doesn't talk about how you're running your business to an extent, you're going to have trouble with serious investors. Indie game business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. And that's why that's why we do this show for one thing is because no one teaches these developers when they're starting out how to actually do that you know how do you run a business how do you make sure that you've got everything covered you know for two years to stay in business I mean, we were talking to somebody yesterday and i said look what a publisher wants to know beyond everything else beyond your game beyond your team is are you going to be able to actually finish this game yep. and get it out the door because yeah, that's the it doesn't matter how good it is if it never launches well i was so, tell so there's a couple of things that i think developers fail to recognize and a lot of and other people too this isn't develop it's all artists that usually this stuff is so well thought out and so clear in their head their vision is so perfect in their head but you're talking to business people you're talking to publishers and if you can't clearly communicate and show me what that vision is then i'm gonna have trouble seeing it and believing it and then if you can't prove to me not only do you have that vision but that you can execute on that vision right and i think those are two of the biggest things when i'm listening to pitches that will throw me early right you'll lose my attention really early if you spend the first 10 minutes of the pitch telling me about the backstory and why the people i don't care you know, I'll care later if I'm interested in the vision and I can get it and I understand. Uh, I think one of the best pitches I've ever seen in my career and uh, one of the best people, and they didn't have a build. They didn't have hardly anything. They, it was Matt Nava who pitched me Abzu when I was at 505. He literally had the, some theme music, a mood video, and a chart that showed the emotional journey that he wanted people to take as they progressed through the game color-coded. And, you know, I did some research and looked at, you know, Steven Spielberg evidently did something similar to that. He mapped out the emotional arc for Saving Private Ryan and it went across like this 30-foot wall when he pitched that movie. Uh, and Matt did something similar. I don't know if he followed Steven's thing or Matt was an artist. You know, he was a, you know, very senior at that game company on Journey and Flower. But he was so well poised and so 
did such an amazing job of communicating his vision to me and how he was going to go about doing it and what he was going to do and, and what the player was going to experience. And like, I could literally close my eyes and not even look at him and, and, and see myself playing the game. And that may have been the single best pitch I've ever had in my life. And I couldn't even play anything. And, but it's but given ahead. that game, that is exactly how that game should be pitched. Yeah, it is. But yeah, how I mean, many that's... pitches? How many pitches have you listened to and signed that were purely concept and didn't really have anything to show? Uh, none in the last probably ten years. That's uh... so. That's you know, and I can say maybe in my career, I've signed or helped sign three or four games that didn't have a playable. And that's you know, in in the, in the time that I've been helping find or sign games, so twenty years. Yeah, um, well, it, was, it was a lot easier like way back then. I, we were talking. I was talking to somebody this week, and I said, you know, one of the early deals that I did was the first game from Starbreeze, and and I sold that <laughs> based on a cubed mirror floating down a dungeon hallway, and it was an ABI. <laughs> it wasn't even a playable. But back then. Yeah, well, yeah, that was different back then. <laughs> yeah, it was so impressive from a technical standpoint that the publisher was like, yeah, okay, we'll figure out gameplay later. This looks awesome. And <laughs> you can do that. And, and yep. so now you, you can't. But <laughs> No, I, I just, I try to get developers to think of it this way when they're like, you know, because I have a lot of people reaching out, you know, wanting angel funds or what, and there's not a lot of angels in the game business, um, is that I tell people so, I'm, you know, I've never made a car in my life. I'm going to come to you and I'm going to pitch you this new car that I'm building, but I've never made one. I'm an engineer. I'm, you know, and I've got a team, but I've never built a car in my life. I want you to invest in this new car I'm building. You know, maybe if I'm Elon Musk and I've built several cars and I'm building a new car, I'll probably throw money at you because you've proven yourself a little bit like Matt Nava had done, but you've never done it before and you have nothing to show. If I can't at least test drive the car, even if it's not complete, even if it's just got wheels and a steering wheel, you're, you're going to have a hard time getting my money. And I think that, you know, I think that, again, this goes back to communicating your vision. The quicker and clearer you can communicate that vision and then prove you can execute and finish, those are the two most important things when I'm getting a pitch. If you can communicate those first, then I want to dig into everything else. But, uh, you know, I think we were talking about this before the call started, you know, up and, and the dog, right? Squirrel, if you don't get my attention quickly, I'm off to something else. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's even more important. So we'll go back to this digital stuff. It's even more important in a digital pitch, right? We're talking about, you know, people, you know, if you're sitting here like this, they've got their phone on the side. They've got, you know whoever, especially now that everybody's at home, they got their kids tugging on their legs. You know, you don't have a lot of time to get somebody's focus and attention. And, and you know, and you need to do it quickly, concisely. You know, obviously start with the intros, you know, don't give me a whole lot of background on your team at the beginning, unless it's to say, you know, unless it's to say, oh yeah, we worked on this. I don't care about that stuff. I care, I want to know the vision and I want to know you can finish. And then you can talk about why your team can do it and prove it to me. You know, oh, we did this game that's similar, or we had this experience, or four of the key members of this. Great, but there needs to be a logical pro profession. If you're busy, um, there's a great uh, one of the lead FBI negotiators talked about this. If you have to spend the first five, 10 minutes you're talking to somebody, giving them your resume, you're already going to lose them. Yeah. That makes and, sense, too. And so I think, you know, again, resume matters after the fact in the case when you're pitching. You know, sometimes the resume will get you in the door to have the meeting. Um, but once you've got that meeting, I don't care about your resume until afterwards. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I, I want to hear about the game. I want to know, make it, make me look like an idiot for not signing the game. Give me a pitch. That's so good that I'm like, Oh my God, if I don't sign this, I'm going to get fired because I missed it. <laughs> and we've, we've all had those games too. <laughs> well, it's a funny thing. The only time I ever gotten like literally um, got kind of called out by my boss at five five games uh, was when he thought there was a game was signed by one of our competitors and he thought that we didn't see it. And that I didn't show it to the team. That's the only time. I mean, I didn't get in trouble for passing on games that we've seen. I didn't get in trouble for trying to sign games that we did. I got I got yelled at for one game that everybody thought that I saw or that we didn't get to see that went to one of our competitors. You know, and luckily for me, I didn't get in a whole lot of trouble because I could show that the deal was signed before they ever started pitching because they had a relationship with that publisher. But, you know, I think that if you're pitching to people, you need to understand what you know what the other person is is actually you know what they're bonused on what they're looking for what gets them excited what gets them you know in trouble most of the time the people on the other side like me are actually gamers we love games we're super interested but there's a whole committee behind us you know you got to give us the ammunition to go fight a battle internally so first you got to get me on your side and then i have to go fight with you know four or five ten people internally to get them excited and you know on a green light committee Anywhere, you know, depending on the size of the the investment team, it could be two, but a publisher's five to 10 people on a green light committee. I've got to get almost everybody to say yes. Usually if one person, especially a senior person says no, the deal's dead. But part of that is the politics of nobody wants to be the one to say no to a game that goes on and blows up. I mean, how many people do you think are kicking themselves about turning down Rocket League? Right? Like, I mean, they pitch that game to everybody and everybody said no. Uh, all of us, you know, <laughs> me and and the late uh, Stu Kasoy, who yep. was one of our competitors back in the day, he gave me shit for years because the company that I was at passed on Battlefield. <laughs> and uh, he see, was like, I appreciate all that money. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, see, that's where we get in trouble. So that's, I think, understanding that that's where the biz dev people or the dev relations people, that's where they actually get in trouble, which is also one of the reasons why you long time get a long maybe. Nobody wants to be the one that said no to the next yep. Rocket League. So they'll bring in games that are 99% a no just because nobody wants to be the one to fall on the sword and say, I passed this game up that went on and made millions of dollars. Yep. But, but that's, that's part of the problem, right? Is, you know, I think a quick no with some feedback, if you can get it is way more valuable than a long, maybe, or, or wasting a lot of time and energy. Um, but it's hard for people on the other side to say no. One is that we are humans. We generally like game developers and we like games. So we don't want to hurt people's feelings and we don't want to just say no. So some of that is, you know, we don't want to be assholes, even though oftentimes we are. Um, some of it is, it's, some of it's uh, you know, a little bit of a battered syndrome from, from getting developers pissed off or yelling at us or posting on Reddit about, you know, this biz dev guy's an asshole because he told me no. Right. Like it's, you know, See, I, I think I'm the asshole that goes back and, and posts under that and tells exactly why I said no, you know? Yeah, I think, but you know, when you, when you're looking at 20 or 30 pitches a week, sometimes, or to, sometimes it's just a matter of bandwidth. You don't have time to, you know, I try to give very succinct feedback on everybody. I say, I say no to if it's, you know, a formal no, or I have actually had enough time to really dig in at least some, a couple positives and a couple things they need to work on. But I just, I think that, let's be honest with you, human nature is nobody really wants to get, you know, somebody even verbally is just like, look at you and say, no, like, no, I don't, I'm calling your baby ugly. No. Right. It's, it's a really hard thing to do. 
<laughs> That's what I've been accused of. I've been accused I, of making a career out of call, telling people that their babies are ugly. Well, so we can talk about this a little bit. And again, I try not to ever pimp our stuff. So this is one of the reasons why, I, you know, our team set up, you know, the Exola Funding Club, which is just a basically a matchmaking service for developers and investors, right? Which is is to get, you know, a developers to be able to submit pitches and get them in front of a bunch of investors they probably would have never gotten in front of. And for investors to see games they probably would have never seen. Um, you know, and, and I like to say it's a glorified, you know, matchmaking service. I'll, I'll say, you know, it's eHarmony, but the reality is, and you know, this is more like Tinder. The investors swipe left 99% of the time. God, yes. Yeah. And, and so I think that, you know, it's, it's really important. And this goes back to, especially when you're not there in person is you've got your pitch has just got to be good. And you've got to have a short gameplay video and you have to have a playable. If you're not there in person and, and you can't walk somebody through without a playable, it is unbelievably impossible to get signed unless you're doing a sequel to a game you've already done or, or you know you got the original team from warcraft or somebody i mean then yeah you can go out and, and get money pretty easily but if you're not that team you gotta just think about it from the other side just put yourself in the other person's shoes and try to figure out a way to make them look stupid for saying no if you can do that you've gone pretty far it, it's it's not impossible to do this on our digital side but you have to learn how to do it and, and that's the thing is like one of the things we were talking about on twitter last night was you know it, it's a point of, of time and money and it's like all of this is a point of time and money I mean, everything's time and money yeah. <laughs> everything that's the reality of it i mean you think though 20 years ago, if we were pitching a game that needed, you know, even more than half a million dollars, we were typically on airplanes doing road shows. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. The only way you could get this shit done is if you sat there in Activision's office, in EA's office, and, and you, you did this. And then, you know, we moved to where, okay, we can pitch these things, you know, remotely, either through conferences or, I mean, back in the day, we used to mail the stuff out and then yep. get phone calls. Packages. And, and oh, yeah. I've seen some, I saw some unbelievably creative packages from teams mailed out. Um, yeah. You know. Uh, that was my uh, first job in the industry. There <laughs> was some, we got some amazing stuff. Um, you know, we worked with the, the developer on the game Tiny Brains, but their, their last pitch they sent out, they had these little things that looked like credit cards with a USB on it, and that's how they the, all the pitch materials were on that. And it was literally, they handed you this, this credit card with a USB attached that had gameplay video, uh, short executable to play the game, and the pitch deck. And then, and, uh, then an automatic link to ask them more questions or to set up a meeting. Yep. I mean, it, it was freaking brilliant. I mean, just I have that level of professionalism was just amazing. Of custom USBs, which is ironic now because they hold like, you know, 10 megabytes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, back in the day, man. <laughs> I can't even put a song on that shit, you know, but, you know, back, back then it, it was good. But we adapted and we went from road shows to pitching remotely via or, or through a conference and now we're doing it again and, and we're having to adapt to doing it digitally and yeah it's it's very doable you have to learn how to do it but you do have as a developer when we start looking at time and money you have a much better chance of hitting more qualified publishers through a digital meeting than you do at a conference. Uh, I generally, yeah, especially if you pick and choose. I, I totally yeah. agree. You, you, one of the big things I always hear about digital conferences is, well, it, it takes away 
those chance meetings in, in yeah how many chance meetings do you usually have unless right. you already know those people <laughs> exactly but, but it's like you're talking about you go and you've spent 10 grand to go to san francisco for a week and you might meet somebody that's ridiculously ineffective yeah, no, I agree. So I think, you know, again, I, I actually agree, and like what we said on Twitter, I agree with about 95% of what you said. I think one of the things that is very difficult to do online, though, let, let's be honest with you, is build a relationship, especially a relationship with somebody who said no, right? If you pitch to somebody and they're not interested in your title, that's kind of the end of it for now. Um, you know, sometimes they'll be open to seeing it again. But if you pitch to somebody in person and you can connect a little bit in person and build a relationship with somebody that way, the next show you see them and you have a new game or something else. So that is the one thing I think is is a little bit difficult to pull off digitally. Not impossible, but you know the 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 connection that is made being in front of somebody, and we're going to have to get used to it because we all know this is going to go on a lot longer than any of us oh, want yeah. to. And the other thing I do need to say that this is something that we're all going to have to get used to is doing developer due diligence is going to get really difficult, especially at the higher budget ranges. If I can't do due diligence in person on a developer. Right, especially if you get above a million and you start getting to the two and a half, five, ten, these bigger budgets, me not being able to get a team to go in and dig at the tools and the source code and, and make sure everybody who's supposed to be working is working, that puts it really it just it makes it a lot harder for the investor to to get that level of confidence to put that kind of big money into a project and i'm not saying it's impossible and we're going to have to adjust but it is going to delay the process um and let's not kid ourselves games are going to take longer to get out you know if you're trying to submit to first parties i mean they don't have you know 20 people in a room doing you know doing a lot check anymore right and and, and a lot of that stuff had to have dedicated ip addresses and so everybody's adjusting but let's not kid ourselves that some of this stuff is going to be faster because of online and some of it's going to take longer mm -hmm. so and i agree with the majority of that as well the problem is and, and it does come down to due diligence and it's due diligence on both sides of the coin too agreed you know, it, it, it's going to be you've got to have a lot of confidence in that publisher but what you said is it's true and you as a developer you have to be aware of that and so one of the things that i always teach to developers and it goes back to what you said earlier about you know building that relationship and, and understanding your contacts you know, position in that cog at the publisher is it's your job when you're pitching to make that champion in the other office make their life easier. Yep. <laughs> and so if you can understand it and you know, it's like, okay, you know, I, I remember doing first party deals with Microsoft back in the day and we called it the strike team that came in <laughs> and completely went through all of your ship to see if you were running illegal versions of, of Excel. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah, no, they would else. come in. Yeah, they would do they would do the yeah, I remember the Microsoft audits and they would check to see how many people had you know illegal versions of, of yes. office. <laughs> but you've got to realize and understand how publishers approach these decisions and be ready in that first, you know, deck 
or chat or whatever to address those points and you know make them at ease and if, yep. if you're not then yeah it is going to be a little harder when i used to tell developers that i you know especially ones that i liked and had a relationship with i've got no problem going to fight a battle for you internally but you know what's the give me the good ammo i forget what movie is that from but like give me the good ammo like i, I you, if you don't give me good ammo i'm not sticking my neck out for you right because every time i present a game that everybody hates internally I lose a little bit of credibility, right? So I think you got to understand, and it's hard, but you know, one of the things I think that people really need is try to put yourself in the other person's shoes, even for a second, and understand you know, what the battle they have to fight is going to be. And if you can do that, even a little bit on the front end, it's going to make your pitch better, and it's going to make you better at, at you know, creating some common understanding between you it's going to help you build a better relationship with whoever you're pitching because they know that you understand what it's like to be on their side all right so let's look at one of the other one of the other points in here so and I'm, it's a valid point but i think it's one of those as well that we can overcome here you know the article mentions the developers that go to to pax and even gdc and they don't get to see people playing their game and you know, my response is simply one, you just paid a bunch of money to go to a conference where there's thousands of people walking around and you don't really know how many of them are interested in your game in the first place. And two, how many of those meetings over the course of two or three days do you get to see versus sending your, you know, talking to influencers. I mean, and we're not talking like the big influencers or even the medium influencers, you know, talking to, I, I see it in Discord channels, you know, every day, young streamers, new streamers who are just out there begging for a code to something that they can get to play. We used to pay a ton of money to do basic back then virtual focus testing where oh, yeah. we would have a video camera on somebody's face while we were watching a screen share of them playing the game so we can watch their reactions. We actually had an interview room in Activision. There was yeah. a room that literally there was, you know, blacked out mirror recording equipment and people would come in and play and they would record the sessions and the and the producers and the you know maybe the lead designer would sit and watch them play. And, and now we call that streaming. You have <laughs> shitloads of access to people and if you take some of that money that you have we're going to spend on a flight or a hotel or uber or food at a conference and you go to something like keymailer or woobit you can search for the influencers and the streamers and the people online that like your type of game Yep. No, I agree. And I think that's key. I think one of, one of the things you got to be careful with, though, and I agree, that's actually a huge benefit, is that when you're early on, you, you got to be careful uh, and, and try to invite those people into your community and do it privately before you let them stream publicly. Um, if it's super early and you're not careful, you, we all know that uh, a lot of consumers think they know way more about game development than they really do. Uh, <laughs> And they think they understand, well, you know, uh, you see this game that was put out for six or 700,000 and, you know, it took two years and four people and they're all going, how could it cost that much? These people wasted money. Blah, blah. So I think you do have to, there is a downside to that if you're not careful and going out publicly. But yeah, there's, there's tons of places you can go to find communities and interact. And, and that's a great way to get streamers on board, right? Tell them, hey, we're not putting this out publicly, but we'd love to invite you to play the game. Give us feedback. And as soon as we're ready to go public, you'll be the, one of the first people that can do it. Right. There's 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 a lot of ways to invite those people in 
Absolutely. And, and, and you need to be, I mean, as a developer, one of the things that you need to be doing from day one, and we've preached about it you know, constantly on this show, is building that community. Oh, you know, absolutely. And, and you got to do it, by the way, you have to do it on your own site and your own Discord and your own yep. expecting to build a community on Steam or Epic Game Store or GOG or anywhere, anybody else's platform is a, is a really bad idea because you can't own the relationship. You don't control the relationship. It's almost impossible to have a one-on-one -on -one dynamic. And, and it, by means, I'm not saying don't go to Steam and sell your game. I'm just saying, that, <laughs> you know, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> but but I think that anybody who thinks that, you know, it's it's the end-all be-all or, you know, it's my savior. And there was just an article posted about, you know, 80% of games don't make more than $5,000 in their first two weeks on Steam uh, in Arts Technica. I just think you've got to be a little more savvy and sophisticated and realize that these early adopters, these people who are following you and communicating with you, for the most part, are actually not going to be assholes and trolls. You're going to get a few of them, um, but they want to talk to you. They want to talk to the developer. They want to talk to your community manager. They want to have that interaction. And the best way to do that is on your own site and your own Discord linked from your own site. You should direct every social channel you have, every piece of media, every GIF, every link to your own page. Because that's the only way, and the only way you'll actually own and build that community and be able to communicate properly and not have it filtered, be able to put out dumpster fires. I mean, have, have any of you tried to put out a dumpster fire on Steam in the community? <laughs> Just, it's, you know, it's slightly easier than doing it on Reddit. There, uh... Yeah, well, that's, yeah, duh. I, I, I barely go to Reddit anymore because I just, I, I'm one of those, I will get myself into so much trouble so quickly because I'm a little brutally honest that yeah. I just don't. It's also why I don't do PR. <laughs> I mean, we have, even, even on our own Discord, which, you know, to, to plug it, discord.gg slash indie game business, I'm sitting here looking, we've got a chat room called developers looking for streamers, and there have been half a dozen games posted in the last week. That's great. That, you know, developers are looking for streamers to do this. Absolutely. You know, we've got streamers looking for developers. You know, we've got one of that too, where people are, you know, trying to get started and they want to look at stuff. And that is absolutely a wonderful opportunity for you to go and get this feedback and you're going to get more targeted feedback than you will yep. some guy walking through packs and plays your your fighting game and shits all over it and then goes well i don't even like fighting games <laughs> well this is why i always caution developers too is that um you know everybody's oh let's go after this big streamer this big streamer i'm like you know from the data that i've seen uh you know, the actually most effective streamers as far as converting views to sales are the smaller streamers. It's the 1,000 to 10,000 streamers because that audience is actually really dedicated. They're usually specified. They're focused. And they're actually trying to figure out what the next game they should play. People don't watch Ninja or Dr. Disrespect or any of those people to figure out what game to play. They watch them because they're entertainers. And so I think that, you, you know, again, it's it, it just – it's. It's understanding who's going to best represent you to your potential audience. And this is where developers, you really need to figure out who your audience is. I can't tell you, you want to talk about a red flag to me in a pitch. Don't tell me who you're trying to target. 
or you say this game is for everybody. Okay, right? That's the second one. But I mean, if you're, I always say that you should, you do need to know who you need to target. Oh yeah, because tell you what, as a publisher investor, I can't tell you who you need to target. I can help you target them, but if you don't have a particular audience in mind and have an idea why it matters to them. Okay, I thought you, I thought you were saying that the red flag was that they knew who to target. And no, 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 the red flag is if they don't know who to target. Okay, That's, all right, yes, yeah. You know, and, I, I and joke I about red flags. I joke about red flags and yellow flags in a pitch. Uh, that's one of the one of the big red flags. The other one is giving me a three pronged budget. Well, it's X amount for this. It's Y amount for this. But if you want this, it's Z amount. I'm like, I want you to pitch the best game possible. If I knew what game I wanted and knew how to design it, I wouldn't need you. So, <laughs> so, so don't give me this this you know option. Sure, you can give me options of you know what you think it'll cost to do the DLC. But if you're giving me three or four different options for a game, well, if you want the single player, if you want the multiplayer, if you want this, that you're trying to give me an a la carte menu to something that needs to be a complete package when I ship, and that's gonna that's uh, I I usually tap out really early in those projects. We we need a version of Shark Tank in this industry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard most people talk about it, but no one's actually actually well, done it. Well, I think and that would actually be a good TV show too. But I think the problem is is that a lot of developers, and rightly so, would be afraid to pitch their ideas in a Shark Tank and have them shot down, and then have somebody else steal those. Now we know that the reality is there's not a lot of new original ideas. It's just execution and, and tweaking stuff. But I think that's part of the problem too is that you have uh, a lot of developers, some rightly so, don't want to be you know do this in public. One, they don't want to be embarrassed, and two, they don't want to have their stuff stolen. And then you have people like me that you know maybe you just don't want to seem like an asshole to thousands of people at once. <laughs> I don't think you'd be if you just tell them your game sucks. I'm out. You're being an asshole. But in my opinion, because I've been this asshole a lot, if if I'm looking at you and go, I'm out because you don't understand you know the the genre that you're in or you haven't benchmarked against other titles or you haven't done your research if if i can go in and and say this is why i'm out i don't feel like i'm being an asshole I, you know i'm i'm trying to say this is where you need to improve now granted i may not say it that nicely every time, but you know, I want, I'm never going to tell you if you bring your game to me and we do a pitch like Amy and I do every now and then where we basically play pitches and give you feedback live on the show. I'm going to tell you why I'm not just going to say, no, your art sucks. You know, I, there's benefits to being able to do it. And, and I know a lot of developers aren't comfortable doing it, but I mean, I'm sorry, folks. You need to you need to be able to do it. You need to have somebody, you know, looking at these pitches and giving you honest feedback versus you know just kicking the can down the road a little bit because they don't want to say no. Yeah, no, I agree. The, the I think the the short, bullet pointed, actionable, honest feedback, and this is where I always tell people too, as a designer, as the developer, the real art in making any game is not all the feedback. It's figuring out which feedback is constructive and which to throw out. And, and I think that that's something that's a practice art. But if somebody's actually taking the time to give you feedback, even if it's negative, 
you got to at least listen to it. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to necessarily take it as gospel, but, you know, I can tell you that I've been on the other side and pitched games and how many people I'd never even hear back from or just say, no, thank you, uh, with no explanation, no reason. And that's, you know, that's a lost we, opportunity. We got that statistic. When we send out a game, we, we do not hear back from 70% of the people we send it to. And we send, that's why we do follow-ups. You know, yeah, no. And then there's an art to that too, right? There's yeah. an art to the follow-up as well. There, If we send out a virtually identical but different game the next week to the same people, we will once again see 30, 35% response rate. And it will be a different 30 or 35%. It's just 20 years they've been doing this. And that stat has not changed. No, and I, well, I mean, I can, I, I can give you another stat that may scare the hell out of a lot of developers, but, you know, some numbers based anecdotally on my career and what I've seen for Exola Funding Club is that about 20 to 30 percent of the completed pitches or applications that, that, that we get. So I'm just going to throw a number. Out of 500, 100 to 150 will actually kind of be approved to be looked at and taken seriously. Of that, 20% would probably be contacted by those investors to be reviewed and, and, and do some due diligence. And of that, maybe 10% would enter deep conversation and get signed. But in my career, I would say one to 3% of the total number of pitches I see, I end up signing. That doesn't mean the number that I try to sign, you know, some are signed by other people, some go away, some fall apart in negotiation. But of all the pitches I see, maybe five to 7%, I end up into serious negotiations mm -hmm. with. And, and I think the developers need to understand that the number of people always asking for money, and it's not, you know, it's games, it's movies, it's whatever else, versus the people that actually have money to spend, it's so that you've got to do something to set yourself apart. And a big piece of that is just being the professionalism that goes into the pitch and how you pitch and how you follow up and how you establish yourself goes a really long way and maybe i didn't like this first pitch but if you handled it really well and you were you know really professional you know maybe the next pitch and i'll pay more attention but i'll tell you what if you go onto reddit and you know call me an asshole for you know not taking your pitch or or whatever else what are the odds of you getting me to even look at your next pitch and by the way what are the odds of me not telling the rest of the people i know in the industry not to take this guy seriously huh. rule number one you don't burn bridges in this industry <laughs> No, I always say old, old, old people in this industry, they don't leave. They just switch booths at E3, and now it'll be virtual booths, I guess. But Yes. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, we, we've covered the fact that you, you're going to – you can – let me cautiously say this. You can meet more publishers and be, better targeted publishers digitally. Absolutely. You, know, you can still get your game in front of a lot of people to get that – that reaction. So let's look at, you know, and we only got about 10 minutes here. That's fine. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a 1030. So, <laughs> yeah, so, all right. What about marketing? So that's the other reason that so, so many people go to packs and everything else is because they're like, well, we're not going to be able to get our game out in front of, you know, consumers if we don't have these shows, which again, you know, going back to that same argument, the, the media and the consumers that you're seeing are isolated. You know, yep. you're not seeing, you're, you're seeing people in Boston at PAX. You know, your, your opportunities for marketing are far wider than that. So where do, 
where can they improve on this? What do you what do you think about that side? But I think you touched a bit on it. Uh, I think for you know, especially for smaller indie developers, you know, the first, second, third game, it, it's going to be the best place to build marketing is going to be that community building. It's the cheapest, most effective way to get a bunch of advocates that will help you spread the word and market your game. Uh, you know, this is why, but you can't do that on somebody else's platform necessarily. Yes, you can go through Keymailer to get to a bunch of folks when your game is far enough along. But early on, the best way to manage those relationships is, you know, make sure you have your own Discord. Make sure you have your own Twitter. I was reading a stat, something like 50 or 60% of the games on Steam don't even have a website. Uh, it may even be higher than that. I mean, oh you got to spend... Yes, you got to spend a little bit of time doing some basic stuff, right? I mean, let's be honest, Steam is the app store now, right? Like if you're just throwing your game on there and thinking people are going to discover it because you built a good game, you got you got to be smart about this stuff. You got to, you know, you, you, you start with friends and family. Start with, you know, small communities. Reach out to, to streamers that you know that are playing these types of games and invite them in. Um, I think that's the cheapest, most effective way to, to get started. And then, you know, like you said, there are places to go that are inexpensive. There are key mailers. There are, you know, there are Twitter, Reddit. And, and the great thing about those is they reach a lot of people. The bad thing is, you know, they quickly turn into dumpster fires. Um, so you have to be, be careful and manage it but it's you know it, it is not the end-all be-all to be missing these conferences in person uh, i think you know and actually i think a lot of people that did go to these conferences in person still did a horrible job of marketing they weren't giving out you know business cards with their website they weren't giving out links to the game they weren't even giving out a business card worth here you know through this code you can get the game for 10 percent off for the next three weeks right there was a lot of lot of missed opportunities for anybody that was even at those shows but why not just take some of that stuff digital maybe you know you create you know, founders packs, you create, or, you know, some kind of program for people who get involved there. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. And this, and, and this it's is just, what drives me nuts. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you, you, uh, I guess you and I, and all of us here have to, you know, step back a little bit off our soapbox, right? We've been doing this for 20, 25 years. So a lot of the stuff we know is completely foreign to a lot of these folks, right? Like, yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and so, and again, I, I'll be honest, I can't go make a game, right? I, I, I would love to, but I can't go make a game. I don't know how to make a game. I'm not a designer. Uh, um, you know, I'm really good at taking a look at design and figuring out if I think it's going to sell, but I'm not always right there either. But, you know, so just like I can't do that, don't assume you know how to do the other job. Get help. There's so many resources out there. There's so many people you can talk to. The one thing I love the most about this industry is almost everybody's really friendly and open to providing, you know, some kind of feedback on us. You look at like Rami Ismail and how much time he spends trying to help developers. I don't know he actually develops games. He, he, does it, he does it on, on his computer when he's traveling. I mean, yeah, it's, that's it. It's like everything Rami develops is actually built on a laptop on an airplane. But yep, or, or a train or a car, or yes. <laughs> my frustration so many times is we're talking about indie developers who are undoubtedly some of the most creative and agile, improvised people in the world. Their mind is constantly thinking about this. That's why all the new great game ideas come out of indie teams well they need to seize on this right because let's talk about yes. it we, we see we see things like last of us 2 being de delayed indefinitely and i think you're going to see this a lot coming forward a lot of these big triple a games are going to have a really hard time finishing on time because you can't have two or 300 people in a building and do all these you know face-to-face -face scrums all this stuff it's much harder and then the technology and the security and, and all that stuff some of the stuff i touched on about submitting it's all going to take longer
the indie game process, especially to go up on, on PC and launch your own game, is not as difficult. Yep. And, 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 you know, a lot of these teams are used to working remotely already. So there's some advantages they can take. But there's some huge disadvantages if they don't spend some time on the front end figuring out how to build a community, do some basic marketing, do some basic PR. For God's sakes, there's so many people out there that are really good at PR for indie PR that are not very expensive. Find them. Do some research. Get some pointers. Go find a community Ask manager. People, who did yep. you use? You know, go find yeah. Take a game that you know you really like that that you think they did a great job and reach out to them. Yep. You know, developers are usually really helpful with each other. Hannah over at um at Fail Better Games back when she was commuting, she's not commuting anymore, obviously. But <laughs> she would sit down on a Wednesday on her commute into the you know office and literally critique people's Steam pages for them. And well, I mean, uh, the people at Kit Fox, the community managers, and very public. Yeah. She shared a lot of information. There's just so much out there. Victoria, you do have to spend a little yeah. time looking. Yeah, you have to spend a little time looking. But you can do it, people. That's what we're saying. The whole point of this is not just for me and Justin to rant at, you know, things. Although <laughs> well, I'm hoping for providing a little bit of useful information. That's, while we're you know, that's, that's what we enjoy doing. <laughs> but it's, don't, you can't stress and lament and, and be angry about the things that you can't control. You cannot control that there's not going to be an E3 this year. Well, you can. You can tilt at windmills, but it's not super productive. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. But you are... As the indie dev, some of the most creative people in the world look for ways around it. The resources are out there. You know, we our technology is, you know, granted, usually second only to the porn industry and groundbreaking. But, you know, <laughs> it, it is, you, you've got the tools. You know, and that's why we started doing the shows a year ago. You look at Andy, you're talking about, you know, where your best influencers are. They're in the 1,000 to 10,000 range. Indy and Bradley literally run a stream group of those, you know, streamers that you can talk to. I mean, and, and so there are a lot of resources out there. Stop worrying about, you know, what you're losing when these events are happening and start looking around and adapting because I guarantee you, you'll be better off. You're well, going to have I mean more competition but you're going to be better off. If well, you I think that. we can talk about this too real quick. And then I know we all got to go is I think that ego and pride and a lack of willingness to admit what you don't know, cause more angst and more problems for indies than, uh, than just about anything else. And I think this, uh, you know, we saw this a lot in the past, not so much with the rise of a lot of these really kind of indie friendly publishers, but you know, the, this, this notion of, you know, you know, publishers are evil, investors are evil, all of this and you know wanting to lament and rant and jump on that bandwagon one is it's not productive two it's really not true yes there's some bad publishers and anybody who's going to sign your game and not promise to give you some money for development or guarantee marketing you should probably stay away from but the reality is most develop most publishers and most investors they have you know they're they kind of have the same goals as you do overall um but you got to stop whining and complaining and start you know being proactive being positive spend a little time doing some research um, 
ask people don't be ashamed to ask i mean i i took i think maybe this is you know this was my problem when i was young i, I felt like i was always one of those kids that was too smart for my own good i thought i knew everything i thought i like i thought you know i was smarter than everybody else and, and you know maybe because high school and college were pretty easy to me except for a couple of classes and, and i hit a point once when i was working for a company called ensense msense that was with a bunch of mit media grads people that had iqs as high as einstein and i'm in a room with seven of these people and they turned to me and started asking me some questions about stuff and i'm thinking to myself who the hell am i to be able to tell any of these guys anything and then i then i realized i have to separate wisdom from intelligence and to me wisdom is when your experience and your intelligence meet up and you realize how little you know justin thank you so much this, oh thank you yeah this was super interesting <laughs> We, and we can absolutely do this again. Uh, you know, now that you know our, our great onboarding process to become a speaker on the show. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, let's, 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 you know, let's uh, figure out maybe a month or two from now, we can do it again and figure out a topic along this line, see how we things are progressing after all these virtual conferences. Um, you know, definitely keep us abreast of anything you guys are are doing obviously i'm going to throw a shameless plug out for our game developer say, carnival yeah. that we throw together <laughs> so uh, may 11th may 12th go correct. to uh, gamedevelopercarnival.com correct and uh you know again i'm going to caution folks that you know we are it is the first time we're trying this so there is going to be mistakes it's just like it is basically a game it's in alpha so um it's going to be a fun experience for everybody but we think you know it's a good chance for people to get a little virtual experience in a in a trade show uh, and I, then I've never seen an MMO go launch early that that wasn't perfectly run, Justin. It's like I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be perfect, damn it. <laughs> it but it's going to be good. And you know what? what? Do you want to spend? I mean, how much is the ticket? For, uh, actually, no. Every, it's free for exhibitors and free for attendees. We're asking folks if they can to uh, pre-order or or do a founders pack for twenty dollars, and all of that money is being donated to the uh, indie relief fund that was set up by the Wings Group yep. to help reimburse developers that got screwed by the cancellation of GDC and other events. That, that's so what we're doing. So at IGB and the Powell Group are are exhibiting. And I, I finally get to see my logo on a blimp. I'm very happy about this. Yeah, that'll be cool. <laughs> that'll be awesome. <laughs> uh, all right, so check out game game dev game developers carnival uh, If you have more questions for Justin and I or Indy as well, we're all on the IGB Discord. This Discord. Yeah, I'm, I, I joined finally uh, officially and got the new one up. Um, and then I'm you know pretty easy to find, like you said, at SC Slug. Uh, I'm not hard to find. I don't do a whole lot of Twitter, and I try not to have conversations there. But anybody who approaches me professionally, I generally will take that offline, and I'm usually happy to spend a few minutes talking to people. Um, so uh, I'll throw that out there as well. Go yep. and with that, it that's it. Yeah, Thank make you. sure make sure and uh, anchor.fm slash indie game business. This podcast will be up there later on this afternoon. Thank you guys so much and for can... hanging out with us and all your good questions. And thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a good uh, good afternoon, morning, whatever it is where you are. A good a good May morning, afternoon, evening. <laughs> all right, bye bye. All right. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.